Hello and welcome once again to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator and I am here with Chuck. Father Chuck, that is. Yes, it is me, Father Chuck, here with JP, our moderator. Is that your In this episode of Masters of Divinity. I could get really NPR. I get my NPR <laughs> voice going really quick and just sort of and sort of talk about um, all things considered. Yeah, should we talk Chuck? We could talk uh literature. This this is Masters of Divinity and I am JP and you are with also with Father Chuck. Uh and we're here and we're um um so happy to be here. Just overjoyed. Overjoyed. Well, um um I, I would say I'm uh, elated. Uh I, I, I think and in the theme of what we're going to talk about, that you personally mm-hmm. are interacting with us as though we have an intimate relationship as you're listening to the words that we are sharing into the void. Oh, God, I hope that's happening. <laughs> I hope it's happening. Um, so today we're going to be talking about uh, parasocial relationships. Right. Relationship with ghosts. Right. Exactly. Uh, no, that's, that's paranormal relationships, Chuck. That's, oh, that's right. That's, that's right. You got it mixed up. Um, to kind of set the stage though, Chuck, I, I want to share with you a little story. Um, there's this, uh, really great YouTube channel called Strookey movies. And it's run by this filmmaker named, uh, Shannon Strookey based out of Atlanta. And, uh, she made a two hour documentary for YouTube, mind you, um, all about parasocial relationships called, uh, fake friends. So if you have time, go and check it out. It's really great. Um, I have uh, taken a little story that she shares in that documentary uh, from her script, and I'm going to recite it here, uh, both for you, Chuck, and also for our audience, because, Chuck, this is going to appeal to you. I, I, I can already tell you, you're going to be so happy okay. listening to the story. I mean, maybe. We'll see. Um, okay, so um, before we get started, a, a little, a, just a little thing. Uh, you know what a Japanese honorific is, right, Chuck? Uh, you mean like when somebody gives like an honorific title, but like, yeah, like, you know, like a karate kid, Mr. Miyagi, yeah, like sensei, Daniel son, Daniel. Yeah. 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 Um, so there's son, which is sort of what's used as sort of a, to denote equality. And then right. there's uh, uh coon, which is what an elder would call uh, someone younger than them. So like okay. you would call uh, your son, Charlie, uh, Charlie coon. Okay. Okay. Just getting out of the way. Um, this is the story of grape coon. Really quick, before you get to that, okay. I'm going to point out that this interaction just helped dispel the weeaboo thing for me, <laughs> that you had to explain that to me. Well, now you know, and now you're going to call every child you know Coon. So, Grape Coon was a Humboldt penguin at the Tobu Zoo in Japan, named for the purple identification band strapped to his wing. Grape Coon had a mate named uh, uh, Yudori who, after she had to leave the enclosure for a period of time due to health problems, left him for a male penguin who was younger than him. Humboldt penguins uh, typically mate for life, and Grape Coon, as you can imagine, was devastated. That is until the anime series Kimono Friends ran a promotion at Tobu Zoo and Hululu entered Grape Coon's life. Uh, To quote a Sora News 24 article on Grape Coon, while the other animals paid no attention to the cardboard cutouts in their midst, Grape Coon became so enamored by his 2D visitor that he couldn't tear his eyes away from her. And it wasn't long before photos began surfacing online, showing the penguin staring up at her for hours at a time and refusing to leave her side. 
So this this anime, the Kimono Friends, was doing a promotion. And uh, by promoting the anime, they had these cardboard cutouts of their characters, and they put them in these enclosures. And one of them was a character named Hululu, and they put it in, in Grape Coon's enclosure. And Grape Coon became obsessed with Hululu. Um, <clears throat> Grape's true feelings were all about confirmed when he was observed standing before the cutout with his wings outstretched and his beak pointed up. This stance is a courtship ritual. Uh, in the penguin world, and an indicator that grape the grape coon could be ready to take his relationship to the next level. Uh, a Metro article stated that it was all it was so all consuming that he neglected to eat his meals, meaning zookeepers had to remove the cutout. Uh, when the cutout was taken away, grape coon began eating again, but it was obvious that he was deeply missing his cardboard soulmate. Uh, the zoo has since embraced the penguin's unusual crush by broadcasting updates of the couple on social media. Um, it also describes how the Tobu Zoo profited off the attention uh, that Grape Coon received, saying, in fact, they are so in love with the idea of their penguin being in love that they've even started selling a loving grape drink in its gift shop, describing it to customers as the perfect embodiment of Grape, of grape Coon and his cutouts relationship. Who doesn't love a good marketing opportunity? Uh, the label on the drink states that the white and deep purple mix together beautifully, yet the ice cream makes you feel cold to remind zoo-goers that two penguin souls yearn to be together but remain in separate dimensions. <laughs> I just – you told the story, and I, I, I realized I saw this recently, I think on a Cracked article, like months back. I was trying to find oh, – really? I thought I would saved up like a screen grab of it because um, I just love the story of – a penguin with his anime waifu. <laughs> yeah. Um, after some time, Grape Coon fell ill and was dying. And in a Straits Time article, uh, Tobu's penguin caretaker said, uh, we put the cardboard panel next to him to comfort him to the very end. Uh, the, goodbye, the goodbye tweet from the zoo to Grape Coon when he died, translated to English, reads, the Humboldt penguin Grape Coon passed away yesterday. Sincere thanks to everyone for supporting him until now. Thank you also to Hululu, who watched over him until the very end. And thank you, Grape Coon, for all this time. Rest peacefully in heaven. Uh, from the Technology Inquirer, even Kimono Friends manga artist uh, Mini Yoshizaki, Yoshizaki uh, drew up a special illustration of Hululu with Grape Coon. In the illustration, they wear matching purple bands as if they were wedding rings. A cardboard cutout of the artwork has been placed inside the penguin enclosure where Grape Coon once lived with his anime girl waifu. <laughs> so I thought you would enjoy that. That kind of factors into what we're talking about a little bit. Yeah, kind of. Kind <laughs> of. Uh, so just to kind of define what parasocial relationships are, in case uh, the listener is not aware in any way, uh, sociologists Richard Wall and Daniel Horton originally coined the concept of parasocial interactions and relationships in 1956 to explain how audiences developed attachments to media figures. It boils down to one-sided affection. A person invests emotional energy and attachment in a media figure, and they develop a sense of kinship and intimacy that makes them feel as though they know the celebrity, even though the celebrity has no idea they even exist. Modern researchers have expanded upon Wall and Horton's original findings to better understand online celebrities. Uh, since 1956, when it was first talked about, we've gotten so many new technologies that really change how we are entertained and how we engage with content, says Ariane Furchad, an assistant professor in the School of Communication at Florida State University. Uh, Furchad co-authored a paper last year uh, about parasocial relationships, um, 
mostly with an eye toward the most popular influencers. Uh, previous celebrities existed behind the one-way gate of television, but today, audiences can chime in on s- social media with questions, requests for future content, and opinions on what are creator producers. And that way, the audience actually has an active role in the content that is created. It sort of blurs the line between creator and viewer in a way that has never been possible before. Yeah, and I, you know, this this is a fascinating thing because we've it, it kind of it kind of informs. You know, not now. This isn't necessarily exclusive, but it it definitely informs some of the things we've seen in what we call toxic fandom, mm-hmm. um, and the things we've talked about in the past on this show, and how um, and how we see like you know people. Well, one of the things I think about a lot is the 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 the, the demands that fans have put on Marvel to make it canonical that Steve and Bucky are a couple. <laughs> Dude, are they still doing that? I feel like it kind of died down. I'm not really it's, sure. I mean, they've got the. I mean, there's obviously the whole, the whole like, um, the whole shipping, right. thing. Shipping um, will always be a thing. Yeah, yeah. Right, but yeah, I don't think that there's been like the campaign. Like, but there was a campaign. I mean, you remember that? Right? I mean, it was yeah. it was kind of it was kind of crazy where it was th- that this this expectation that these creators owe the fans something because mm-hmm. it's like we buy your books and therefore and we've invested emotionally into these characters and their story and therefore you should give us what we want right. out of that investment it's a very it's a very capitalistic like deeply capitalistic way of thinking um but it also hinges on and you know i know we're going to talk some more about this but it just it's it's just a very that, that kind of thing is very interesting to me mm-hmm. um, and frustrating um and i'll be honest even somewhat scary um but i um yeah people I, have taken it to extremes you know there's um stories about you know i read some story about a uh, a twitch streamer um, which, if you don't know what a Twitch streamer is, it's someone who uses the platform Twitch to kind of stream themselves playing video games. And these people have, like, enormous audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of these people, it kind of it stopped being, oh, just watch me play video games, to becoming like a, almost like a lifestyle. Um, a lifestyle. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's crazy. Uh, so there's this one gamer in, uh, from, uh, I think, Orlando. I forgot his name. Uh, but he is very popular. And um, he was living, he, he was staying at his home somewhere in Central Florida. And one of his fans, who was super depressed, uh, traveled all the way from Singapore to Central Florida. And he walked 20 miles from the airport to his house and just showed up at his door. Um, just to say, like, I have problems and I think you're the only person that can solve them. Oh, geez. <laughs> so he I, I, I forgot how the rest of the story goes but I think he let him like spend the night or no 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 he, he bought a hotel room for him and he was like you yeah. can't stay here man <laughs> um, but uh, yes yeah, so yeah the, the internet I mean I guess parasocial like I said parasocial relationships have always been around ever since for, for as long as media has been around ever since we've sort of glorified the celebrity mm-hmm. um, you know I, I, I there might have been a, a brief moment in my life where I thought I may have had a chance with Britney Spears. <laughs> I mean, who, what, what young, what young, what young red-blooded American boy didn't think that 
in the early 2000s. You know, <laughs> well, it's funny you bring bring her up because as, as I was thinking about this topic a little bit, I just one, a memory that popped in my head was um, my friend, uh, one of my best friends. I'll keep names out of it for the sake of, of anonymity, but one of my best friends growing up, um, his little brother once, we were at um, we were at West Oaks Mall in Orlando, outside of Orlando, and he um, we were in the we were in the music store, and um, it, for y- younger listeners, there used to be stores where you had to go to buy your music, um, and like physical concrete locations that sold CDs, and so uh, we were there, and um, um, I remember he he like comes up with his CD and he says to his brother, he says, hey, this this is who, this is who this, this this should be your girlfriend. And it was Britney Spears with her. It was her first album. And I just remember thinking, like, what a weird. And his, I mean, his brother was like a pretty was like a t- early teenager. Yeah. And so it was like and we were we were like 17, 16, 17 at the time. So we were like about the same age as Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just sort of like, that's just so, that's such a weird, like yeah. oddly confident statement to just think that, <laughs> like, you could just go, oh, yeah, all right, I'm going to go find Brittany. I mean, she, you know, she was in Orlando, I guess we could have done it. But it was it was just such a weird thing um, to just assume that right. that one had that kind of chance. Um, like I, and, and, and getting back to just as going a little more further with some memories, I remember when I was in seventh grade, um, I had a girlfriend of sorts who um, her and one of her friends, they developed the biggest obsession with Devin Sawa. Do you remember Devin Sawa? <laughs> yeah. I, think, and, I believe he, he, he preferred his name to be preferred Devon. Did he really? That's what Matt told me. <laughs> okay. Devon Sawa or Sawa, Devon Sawa. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he, um, and then also and Andrew Keegan, if you remember Andrew Keegan, but um, they had like, they, they would buy those tiger beat, magazines and they would like cut them out and put them in their lockers Mm -hmm. and i just i've never understood that i've never understood that like i watching watching like you know ed sullivan with the beatles and people freaking out like i've just never i've never had that bone or whatever it is that makes me do that like i've just never had that kind of obsessive excitement toward us towards someone I don't know. Well, I don't, so I, I don't, so I don't understand it all that well. Maybe I feel like maybe it's kind of a marketing thing. I think that is sort of very much geared toward young girls in our country. Like that sort of teen idol thing, which I don't know if it's really a thing anymore. I think it's just sort of all encompassing now um, because of, you know, because of YouTube and Twitch and all these other online platforms. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, it, it is weird. I mean, it also it's it's also it's the emotions of a teenager as well. Um, I mean, so, like I th- that's the thing is, I mean, I I had things that I was obviously a fan. Like I was a fan of things and and of musicians and of actors and things like that. But I just I I just never understood that kind of. But to sort of create like, an idea that you have a relationship with the yeah somebody you've never met before. Yeah, and no like I tried to. Yeah, like I was. I mean, I've been trying to think about. I've been trying to think about that a little bit, and and and, and um, but yeah, I I just I don't I don't get it. Like like I said, like I've I've had things that I've preferred, right? right. Maybe it's because um, maybe it's because my interests have involved guys in giant rubber monster costumes that like <laughs> there's no personality, so there's no like, you know, um, there's no chance that like I'm ever gonna like oh I'm gonna meet Godzilla someday. Like that's just well, it, it doesn't you know like. Maybe so. Maybe that's part of it for me. Is just like the things I was attracted to 
are like not real um, in the sense of like they're not flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, uh, th- you know, I don't, I don't think all parasocial relationships are like die hard, uh, you know, like this person is totally my friend or this person is ever like in a relationship or whatever. I think there might be degrees of it. You know, you, you are a cracked reader. Yeah. And there are certain authors that you, you kind of get more excited about than others. Right. On crack. Oh yeah. Like, Oh dude, it's like if Sean baby is going to write an article, like I'm stopping everything to to read that because right. he is. And I, I, do, I mean, singular talent. <laughs> But, I mean, do you ever feel like there's maybe, like, a just a, a little bit of an attachment? Like, do you also follow up on – I don't know. You don't really do Twitter anymore, so I guess that's a kind of a dumb question. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, there's not, like, a little bit of an attachment. Like, you kind of kind of get them more than other people do. Like, uh, I, I, Well, I'll say that if, if we're going to go this route, then uh, I would say, you know, and, and we've talked about him a few times on the show, is, um, is film critic Devin Faraci. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, um, yeah, we're gonna go there. Because <laughs> if, if there was a parasocial relationship in JP's life, that was probably definitely it for a while. Yeah, I, I, totally. <laughs> no, I um um, and I wish Matt were here to talk about Rob Bell. But no, we um, <laughs> yeah. I. But like the thing with David Fracci is like I just I think I've always thought that his commentary on on things was very intelligent, mm-hmm. and I always and I also felt that. Like I liked his writing style. I've I've always been impressed with his writing and like this how fast he can put out like a really well written thing. Right. Um, I've also been fascinated with the whole like I was especially during the Badass Digest and Birth Movies Death days, very fascinated with the, the with the, the 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 people who sort of like gravitated around him, particularly people who gravitated to him but they hated him. Yeah. yeah. And like you could tell that there were people like working out some weird daddy issues with this guy <laughs> in commentaries, uh, in comments. But then like where he's at now, I'm also very fascinated with him as you know uh, integrating his Buddhist stuff into his thought and whatnot. And um, and like I've you know he's responded to me a couple of times in social media things, and so that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. That and I guess that's that's where it gets that's where I think the new stuff that we're dealing with is is quite interesting. So I mean that where, that like, could be defined as parasocial to a degree. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not, not like, saying probably not to like, yeah, like there's, there's, degrees, yeah, it's not, if, we, if we put it like on a spectrum, yeah. right? Like it's not, you know, it's not fanaticism. Right. Um, but yeah, like I mean, there are famous people, like relative, like well, yeah, somewhat famous people that like I have, that I have, you know, interacted with on social media, and they have like like I have sent messages, and they have responded to them, and that's just kind of that's. But for me, it's like a novelty, like it's cool, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. That 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 this technology provides that opportunity, but like I'm under no I, I, I belief that like I'm gonna like go to L.A. someday and like find Devin Faraci and be like, hey bro, what's up? And like we're somehow gonna be buddies. Right. Like I, I have you know it's like if I if I were ever in a situation where I were to meet him, he might be like, oh, you're the Episcopal priest who comments every now and then because like I'm just, you know like that's that's just not very common. It's your brand. But I'm not. It, yeah, it's my brand. Like I'm not <laughs> I'm not like under any kind of Thing that like these people owe me anything right yeah you're not entitled okay. to anything yeah. yeah but i will say uh, as i get more to it like because I, I this developmental psychology i read a little i was reading a little wikipedia on this stuff and they were talking about the developmental psychology and the roles that this plays that parasocial relationships plays particularly with like boys in their emotional maturity right. i know like my mom listening if she's listening to this and who are we kidding she is listening to this um She'd be quick to point out that I was, as a child, like I definitely developed some obsessions with, um, but like Superman, 
Uh, I always carried a Superman action figure with me, like Mm -hmm. almost everywhere I went when I was like three years old, four years old. And then like Batman, like I would dress up like Batman constantly. Um, Michael Knight um, from Knight Rider. I was obsessed. Like, like to the extent that when I was in preschool, I wore a black jacket, even in the heat of summer. Like I had to wear a black jacket everywhere I went. (laughs) And for a while I made people call me Michael. You're basically Uh, like star Lord. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. Actually that, that bit resonated with me. Um, <laughs> but I, um, but so, so like I, I, so in my early childhood, like I get that, like I get that I had, I had some kind of like relationship with these fictional characters. Yeah. Um, and my mom and I have talked about this before and we chalk it up to me not knowing my dad mm-hmm. that, you know, they, as they, as they, as uh, Bill says in Kill Bill, guys who grow up without dads collect, um, collect father figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was like, I mean, like, it makes sense. Superman, come on, like that makes sense as a young kid. Like you want someone who's strong and and all of that. Like right. that makes sense. Why I would gravitate to someone like Superman. Like he's just truly good and and strong and he's an ideal you want to live up to um you know batman batman was just cool um as a kid before i realized that he's a messed up character (laughs) um and um um so like you know and 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 i i I still don't know what the michael knight thing is i think i just thought michael knight was cool (laughs) um i mean because kit was awesome yeah uh yeah talking car talking car is awesome right and i mean come on and like like the chest hair and the like <laughs> swagger and and all of that but um but but like i grew out of that i think you know like i i developed my i still i mean i, I have obsessed i do have some obsessive qualities like i know that i have that like wow like when i'm into something like i can get into it like a singular focus and it becomes like the only thing i'm interested in um and i have to deal and i have to that's a thing i've had to you know deal with but again like like my relationships that have been like that, like with that kind of intensity have been with like concepts like surfing or skateboarding rather than like surfers and skateboarders. Okay. Right. If that makes any sense. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't really call them parasocial relationship because it, it, it's, it's th- those can't develop their own relationship with you. You know what I mean? Like they're not, right. they're not ignoring right. you. That is something that you can have a relationship with and like, it's okay. Um, you know, but characters like Superman and Batman, you know, that could probably, yeah, you know, it's the, again, you're, you're a child, <laughs> but I mean, I, and so, I, yeah. And so, yeah, getting into it as, as you get older, like, like, yeah, like, you know, you find celebrities attractive when you're a teenager, like, like I was, I was all about that Anna Paquin, man. When I, when she was <laughs> cast as rogue, I was all about it. Um, and things like that. But like, I, like, again, I was never under the, like idea that it was like, yeah, like I'm going to, like, I could date her. Like I could, you know, like, and I'm going to try to make that happen. Like, that's the thing. You know, like I can understand, like you find her attractive and like, like if she happened to be nearby, like, Hey, like if I happened to meet her, but like the idea of like actively going out and trying to make that happen, like that's the level where I don't, mm-hmm. like I don't connect with it. Like, I mean, for instance, like I, you know, and, and I'm not saying anything that Kana doesn't know, like Megan Fox is, um, very, very attractive to me and, and to a lot of people. 
And when we were in DC and Kane and I were still in DC um, and they were filming a section of uh, Transformers, uh, one of the Transformers sequels, um, I think it was actually the third one. And I didn't know that Megan Fox wasn't in it, but I made a joke to Kane. I was like, yeah, we probably can't go downtown. And she's <laughs> like, why? I was like, because then if I go downtown, like I'm just going to try to find Megan Fox. And, and, uh, and she laughed, but it was like, you know, it was like, I wasn't like it, you know, but like, there are people though who would do that. They would be like, oh my God, Megan Fox or, or, you know, or whatever is, um, is they're in town. Like we should go down to the, we should go down to the filming set and see if we can see them. Yeah. Like, I just don't, that's just not a thing that has ever, like, I've got other things in my life I'd rather do. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like I should probably kind of come clean just for the sake of the podcast and the subject and if we're going to be kind of transparent i i would say that um you know i i kind of really understand the psychology behind the parasocial relationship i understand um why some would someone would fall into that mainly because i kind of feel like i've i've i i kind of experienced that a little bit myself um because you know, I, I live out in the middle of the country. I don't really have any friends here. Um, aside from, you know, my cousin and his friends and, you know, that's, you know, we, we hang out every now and then, which is fine. Um, but for the most part, I'm kind of by myself in this house in the middle of the country. And kind of the only way, my only outlet is like this <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the internet. Yeah, right. I don't really I don't really watch TV because TV is repetitive and weird, and internet keeps me way more stimulated. Um, and you know, because of that, I watch a lot of YouTube, and there are a lot of um, there is a group of YouTubers that I watch who aren't like insanely popular, um, but they are kind of a subset of film Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. They make video essays about movies and stuff. And, um, also there's, and it's also kind of overlaps with another subset of, of Twitter and YouTube, which is sort of like philosophical Twitter and YouTube. Yeah. And, um, you know, these people, they all make their own content on YouTube, um, but they're also all friends. And so I kind of see, I'm, 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 you know, I'm tapped into their circle and like constantly seeing them interact with each other and releasing stuff and making stuff and they show up in each other's content. And, um, and you know, I, I won't lie. Like there are times where like, I, I want to, I want to make videos and be friends with, with these, these kind folk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's like, cause most of these people did start out as just like viewers who saw, uh, this person and was like, Oh, I could do that. And then they did it. And then they became friends with that person. Right. And you know, they all have their own followings and stuff. And, um, and so I'm, you know, I kind of feel like I, I do sort of have a parasocial relationship with that circle of people. And also, you know, I, like, you know, I, I follow film Twitter pretty, pretty obsessively because they're always talking about movies right. always. And, um, so it's kind of hard to like, it, it, I just, I, you know, one day I had this weird realization, like on my, my Twitter account, um, there's not a single person on my Twitter feed that knows I exist. <laughs> and like, I think I follow, I don't, you know, compared to a lot of people, I don't follow that many. And that's on, that's on purpose. I follow upwards to a little over 150 people. And that's not considered a lot. 
Right. Uh, some people follow like thousands of people. Some people do the thing where it's like they had to like follow as many people as possible to get as many followers as possible. I'm not about right. that. That's, that's that's just like. I blame. I, by the way, I blame Pokemon on that. <laughs> Probably, yeah. You know, because I I remember that when that when 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 that started happening on on um on like MySpace back when we were in college. That like these people would just request my friendship just to just to do it. I was like, this is weird. Like we don't know each other. Like why do you want to be my friends? And then I was like, ah, these are people who grew up with Pokemon. This is collect them all. This is yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I mean, and and there is sort of a so I, I do think I I do ha- I am kind of in the midst of a parasocial relationship, but not. I don't think it's damaging, and I don't think it's uh, creating any kind of delusion, you know. And and I think it kind of rises from. Uh, about 10 years ago, there was this website called, um, that guy with the glasses and it was run by the nostalgia critic and the nostalgia critic was a dude on YouTube who would just like basically just like a human cartoon who would make fun of like bad nostalgic movies, like the Goonies or never ending story or whatever. So he started this website and it became like huge and they started like picking up more, uh, content creators who made similar videos and they made it as if, like, if you just made a video, they'll hire you. It's like you could be, you could instantly be part of this community if you wanted to, as long as you have a, your own shtick and like your own voice and your own kind of thing. Um, they would take you on. It all like went to hell recently, uh, but a lot of horrible drama. Look it up; it's 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 crazy. Um, so I, I think that kind of create created something within certain fan communities within YouTube and, 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 uh, video essays and things like that. Um, this sort of extremely accessible to where it's like, Oh, it's not a scene or no, no, it's, it's not like, uh, uh, it's like turning, it's like turning an entire medium 100% accessible. Imagine if like Hollywood is, was like during the time where you could just go there and you were a star, you know? Right. Right. So it's, I know it's interesting. And I, and I guess I don't feel, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll reach out to some people on, on, on Twitter every now and then just to make like a comment or whatever, but I'm not like, maybe this person would be my friend, but part of me does kind of, maybe they will notice me like the, like the moment Phil, no, Phil Nobile jr. Who is a writer for birth movies, death or was a writer mm-hmm. for birth movies, death, who is now the editor in chief of Fangoria. Uh, he he followed me back on Twitter, and that might have been one of the happiest days of my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that that that's a, that's a, that is a unique that is a unique kind of dopamine boost, you know, euphoria experience that can only really happen that can only be facilitated by our current like technological era. Mm-hmm. That and and it's an experience and, and an emotion that we as humans have never had until recent years. The right. idea, that, that the concept of the follow back. Yeah, can you imagine if like just like Edgar Wright followed you back on Twitter? <laughs> you know, like yeah, I mean Guillermo del Toro, who are both pretty active on Twitter. Right. Like, yeah, and like the the yeah, it's that, and it and it's weird because especially with Twitter, because Twitter you know gets broken into that whole like high school cafeteria mindset. And or like college party. It's, That's how I yeah. So it's it. like the it's like the so it's like when the popular table like notices you. Yeah, you know, and it's like yeah. They're gonna notice me today. I'm just gonna walk up. I'm gonna say something funny. They're all gonna laugh. They're all gonna be like, yeah, sit down with us, buddy. Yeah, and maybe <laughs> maybe like and, and I, I, I want to be clear, JP, because like I'm fascinated hearing you talk about this because like I said, like I just don't understand mm-hmm. 
that like it's and it's not like I'm putting it down like I don't think that it's bad like it's just I, I it's just that kind of thing like it just I don't know if I'm just not wired for it um I in, think in the same way but you know I, I think I mean, it also has to do with you know I, I've talked about it plenty on this podcast in my younger years I had gotten pretty involved with chatting with people online and creating like real relationships with people online right right when I was very young like 14 15 years old and I'm yeah. kind of still doing it. Like I still, I, I still have online friends that I that I talk to and stuff. Yeah, and I, I mean, and, and I get that. I mean, like, I, you know, I think I guess the closest thing that I have to that is is when I engage with the comment section on Birth Movies Death. Yeah. That there are a few regular commentators that when I, I like when I see them, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm interested in their opinion, and like, and I'm like, oh, I like when they reply to me. Like that seems it seems in that situation like there's some form of a relationship because, mm-hmm. like, and then like. And you know that it takes on some kind of depth because they can sometimes remember things that you had said in the past right. or like, you know, and so, so I don't know if that, if I guess that kind of falls into a parasocial relationship of sorts. I mean, the difference if it's though, be is reciprocated, that, I wouldn't really call it that. Yeah. I guess it's just a, it's just a, yeah. yeah. I, um, and I, and I feel like as, as I've read about the parasocial relationship thing, it deals that celebrity is kind of a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but and, I, um, and, you know, a lot of celebrity thrive on it. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. I don't think you well, get to five million viewers without creating some kind of like delusion in your fans that, you know, they you love them. <laughs> you oh, know? Well, I mean, I, I think a perfect example of that is the little monsters who, you know, that uh, the Lady Gaga's fan like community. I don't know anything like, about that. Well, what's. Oh, her fan, like her fans. I, I don't know what they're like now, but they, for a while it was like this. It was it was like a pretty obsessive group of people, and she loved it and like really? would talk to them. And honestly, she she's been pretty open about the fact that she's because you know she's got like cystic fibrosis or whatever, and that she's been like she's done she's done shows where she has been for hours, you know, like on stage in excruciating pain, doing costume changes and all of that because she wants her fans to get the experience that they've signed up for her. And so like, she like, she will like suffer for her fans. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and there's a, um, there's another sort of YouTuber gamer type, a, sort of a PewDiePie type, if you will, mm-hmm. um, who is based out of Ireland. I forgot. I don't know these people's names. I know PewDiePie. That's it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. yeah. This, this guy who is based out of Ireland. Um, he's actually featured in the documentary I was talking about earlier, uh, the fake friends documentary. And, um, he apparently like, he got really into his fan base and like, he has like millions of followers and he got to the point where like, if anyone ever reached out to him, he always responded. Interesting. And so you, you hear that and you're like, Oh, what a nice, what a nice guy. What a nice thing. But if you, if you have like a million followers on like YouTube, like, like upwards to a million, a little over that, like. And you you say I'll reach out to anybody who reaches out to me, that that's like a second job, <laughs> like if you think about yeah. it. And oh, that's, yeah. And that's what he was saying. He's like, you know, I, I I built part of my brand around the fact that I'm this accessible guy. And he's like, but my life just became making the videos, playing the playing the games, making the videos, and just responding to people all day, to the point where like I didn't have any friends. And it completely isolated him and completely uh, right. secluded him until I, he went to some conference in L.A. where he got to meet, like, other people who are, like, in the same field as he was that he's interacted with, people he makes content with. 
and like they were like his real friends and he's like i'm staying here and um i have had my eyes opened i know what it's like to have a real, real relationship now i'm not going to be responding to to you guys as much as i used to and of course there was backlash against that Ugh. right because it's like <clears throat> well, aren't you our friends yeah the um the I mean, as we're talking about this, like I'm thinking about things and like, I know like when I was in college, like I had, I had, I was really into like Chuck Palahniuk's fiction yeah. and, but I don't know that like I had a parasocial relationship with Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> like I just liked his books. It's kind of embarrassing to look back on, mm-hmm. but like I, I, um, I don't know. I, I will say though, getting back to like the high school thing and maybe this is part of it because I went to a really small high school mm-hmm. And I remember my ex-girlfriend, her cousin that I went to high school with, um, the girlfriend I did not go to high school with, she went to a different school, but I met her through her cousin. And her cousin once said about me in high school, she said, oh, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck wasn't popular. Like Chuck, th- Chuck thought he was popular in high school, but he wasn't actually popular. <laughs> and I, I thought, well, what a stupid thing to say, first of all, because like by the, by the, by the most literal definition of popularity... Mm-hmm. I was popular because everyone knew me and like, which was easy because, you know, I had like 30 people in my senior class, like, well, didn't have a senior class, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so like by the virtue, by virtue of popularity, like I, you know, I knew lots of people and hung out with lots of different people, you know, casually, you know, my deepest, my, my closest friendships were largely, you know, it was like my friend, Eric, that I went to school with. He was like my closest friend at, at school, but then like, you know, and then Keelan as well, I got to know, but he was a great ahead of me. So it was a little bit different, but then like my friend, Josh, like he didn't go to my school, like he was part of my church. And so like, he was probably my closest, deepest friend, you know? So like my, my richest friendships were people not at my school. So because of that, like I didn't really need to have that kind of social interaction, that sort of like social validation from the people in my school, because I got that from people outside of my community. Yeah. And, and so I guess it, it afforded me sort of like a carefree attitude about my high school experience. And, and so like, I didn't need to be that kind of popular. And so like, and so like what, what, what Ashley, that's the girl's name who meant, sorry, Ashley, if you're ever listening to this, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. Um, but like what I think she meant by that statement is that I didn't fit the popular mold in like, I didn't go to the parties and I didn't do like what the popular, the so-called popular kids did. Right. Um, and, and so like, you know, I did like, I had like an insular group of what my friends did. We did what we did. And, um, and you know, we just sort of, we were, we were, we, we got that kind of satisfaction. And so like, I don't know if I were to have gone to like a bigger high school and been in an environment where I would, you know, where like finding a social circle and finding validation and community and all of that was kind of a struggle and that you, you know, you deal with a sort of economy of, you know, politics and economics of, of validation that you deal with in school, wanting to be seen by the popular kids or whatever, because that means something mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Like, I think that that may have affected me a little bit more in my, in my thinking on this stuff. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, you know, I wanted that, like, I, you know, I definitely wanted, like, I, I, I've always relished the attention. Like I've always relished the idea of like, you know, walking into the room and making a big scene, you know, I mean, you knew me in college, like I wore like the most ridiculous clothes. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're doing this podcast, right? Like there's, yeah. there's a degree as something within us that does want 
you know, uh, it feels kind of good that some of our videos have over a hundred views. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm like, I'm, you know, so I'm, oh, sorry, you know, so I, so I, podcast. So, yeah. You know, what I know what you mean. but yeah, it's, <laughs> I, but I, so I get it. So I get it on that, on that front, um, of like wanting that attention, but I just like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of, and I guess the reason I'm talking about this stuff is again, like I'm not trying to sound, I, I hope I don't sound like superior cause I'm not trying to sound superior to people. What I'm, I'm because so many people have this like thing in them. Like it's, it's very common, right? Like most people, like I go to a game, right? I go to like sporting event and I can watch people lose their ever living minds over what's happening on the field. I don't understand that. Like I, so like, I, I feel like I'm missing out on like a key aspect of human experience by not having this, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because like, I, 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 like I just, like I said, like I, you know, I've gone to, I've gone to concerts and I like the band and I've enjoyed the show and it's cool to see them live and to hear their music performed in a different context and to kind of pick up on, you know, some different cues and things like that, that you don't get on a recording. And I've gone to like, I've gone to, like I said, I've gone to sporting events and like, I don't know, it just like nothing triggers me in that sense of like that, like that hardcore emotion of like wanting to like, that this is somehow part of me. And, hmm. um, I mean, that could mean, I mean, you know, I think like uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I don't know if this has much to do with what we're talking about, but like when I think of being a fan of something and just enjoying something, I think being a fan is sort of letting the thing which you like, the, which you enjoy, define you. Mm-hmm. And I think when people sort of get really emotional, like when it comes to... Um, like sports games or whatever, or movies or YouTubers, you know, they're, they're kind of letting that define them. And I think people who just sort of just, Oh, I enjoy it. Like they're not, they're not super overexcited, even though like, I mean, you do feel something like I, I, of course, I don't know. I mean, like, like, like when Godzilla King of the Monsters trailer dropped a few months back, like, you know, Kenny could tell you that I was like, you know, I was high energy around the house for a little while because like, <laughs> it's just cool. Like, you know, so you, so, like, you, you, you experienced a little bit then. You know. Yeah, no, I totally experienced like that, that, you know, the fanaticism stuff. I totally get it. Like I, I have the, you know, I have that in me, but like the, I, again, I, I guess like that sense of, but that sense of like, I guess like sports is a really good one for me to try to talk about it because I, 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 I followed when I was in seminary, I re- and I was coming down to South Florida, and I realized that that would be good for my ministry and my work to have a team that I follow right. because so many people watch sports. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't abide football. I'm sorry. Like, I just can't abide it as a sport. And um, It's got to be like, in your DNA, so I don't, I don't blame you. Yeah. Um, well, it's I mean, the weird thing is it, it is in mine. Like, my family is obsessive football player, like football watchers. I just – don't i don't know if it's my like oppositional rebellious stuff that makes me not want to be into it but i'm not a big fan of it lately so well yeah yeah. Yeah. that's a whole other animal but um (laughs) so like but like so baseball like i played baseball when i was in when i was um when i was younger and and i like the sport it's and it fits my kind of personality it's you know it's a it's a very like you know it's a very it's very very american it's very american it's very intellectual sport (laughs) baseball yeah um, and so I, um, so I was following, so, and I was like, well, and I should follow the local team. And so I'm moving to South Florida. So I'm going to start following the Marlins and I like, I enjoyed watching Marlins games and I enjoy going to the park and I enjoy all that stuff, but I've given up on the Marlins. And the reason I've given up on the Marlins and just all of it is because 
I don't understand. I, I don't understand the connection anymore. Like all, all it is now, all it is now is a relationship with a uniform. Um, it's, with, with, it's like having a tribe, you know. I, but it's weird because it's like you know, so Jared Jeter bought the team, and then traded uh, Giancarlo Stanton, who's such a I mean amazing hitter. Um, Marcelo Zuna, um, good a uh, good player on the team. Like just uh, all the all the really good players, they just got traded out, and now they're in other teams. And I realize I'm like, the, you know, none of these people live in Florida anyway. Mm-hmm. So the like I I kind of get. I kind of get it when it like when it comes to like something that's part of your community. Like my 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 high school's um, varsity boys basketball team went to state two years in a row. And that was awesome. Like that was probably the closest that I ever really like had an emotional connection with a sporting experience. But that's because they were my friends. They right. were my that you know it was my environment and it was like it was about like the school and all. Like it was just a cool experience to be a part of. That's why I was able to have some kind of real emotional touch because I had actual tangible relationships with the people on the court. Um, but like. I, 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 it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't get the pro sports thing. Like, I don't get it. Like, it's like, they're just, they're just people that are traded around. And so like, why do you get obsessed with it? Like, they're not, they're not representing your home team. They're just doing a job. It's a job. Right. I think that's why I don't, um, you know, this past couple of years, I've sort of distanced myself. I, I, you know, I, I grew up a cowboy fan and it really was just a kind of a legacy thing. You know, we had some really great right. players and it's, my dad has always enjoyed it and, it's kind of a bonding thing between me and him and most of my well, and family live, stuff. And, well, and plus, I mean, it's such a crucial part of sort of like the Dallas identity and experience. Texas that, in general. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> you know, so and, and, and having lived there, like I get that. Like, I, that, I, like yeah, I can I understand that. Yeah. But I, I will say lately since I've, I've, I've kind of pulled away a little bit because of just all the just all the horrible things that are happening. Um, I pulled away a little bit and I've kind of taken more notice of like other teams and kind of a, developed a kind of a fascination with the teams that you never hear about because you know, they, they always lose, but like, uh, there's something about them because the, the, the little, the, the, I think of like the New York jets, you know, mm-hmm. and how they're basically, they're not like on the national stage because they never win. Uh, but they still have a, a devoted following, you know, right? Or like, like the, the Cleveland Browns or the Bengals, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's, I'm kind of, I'm a little fascinated. Not, not, I'm not fascinated that they like them, but I'm fascinated that th- these are small teams who don't have like, they don't have a, a, a you know, a, a, a uh, I'm not a sports person, so I can't name anybody. It's kind of like the Oakland A's, um, Back in the day, like in like the like in the seventies, I think, um, which when they were like, they were such a joke. Like, or was it the Pirates? I'm thinking of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think I don't remember. I have to go back and I have to do my research and my baseball history. But it was one of those teams. It might have been the Pirates that they were just like, they were just not doing well at all. Like they were just a terrible baseball team, and they then decided to just lean into that and make the experience of coming to the games fun. They're like, we're not going to win anything. So let's just have fun with it. And like that kind of stuff fascinates me. And then they ended up becoming like a really respected team for, for a while. Um, and they started, cause then they they had the energy of like, you know, of fan support and they won. I mean, like, what is it? The Brooklyn Dodgers, I think back in the day too, like the, they used to call them dim bums, but they were our bums. Like they were, you know, (laughs) the Brooklyn team were, they were terrible, um, before they went to LA and, um, but so like I, I you know so I, I so I appreciate that and I get that what you're talking about there right. because it you get to sort of see it in a different light and like you said like it 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 fosters an identity around 
like, well, like in those kinds of teams, you've got players that are going to be a part of those teams for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Generally, because, you know, it's like, you know, unless there's some kind of like, like some kind of super like rare superstar and they get traded out or whatever, for the most part, like they're just happy to have a professional sports career. Yeah. So they're just going to hang out. Right. Uh, so to, so to kind of shift gears a little bit, I want to ask you, Chuck. Yes. Um, do you, I want to know how, like, is it possible for someone to have a parasocial relationship with you because you're a priest? Like, do you, like, I know that because you're a priest and, you know, you have a congregation, which is essentially basically also kind of like your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, like, do you have to make yourself as a priest, like accessible to every single person who walks through that door? Or is there like a, a, a degree of, um, you know, distance that you have to kind of create because you, you I, have, I, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, there, I, I've gone to mega churches and I've gone to a lot of big, you know, evangelical events and stuff where it's like you have that pastor. Um, but some people in that congregation will never, ever get any kind of FaceTime with that guy. He has like his little generals of, you know, his little his lieutenants right. to kind of help you. But the pastor, you'll never get to do. Maybe you'll shake his hand one day. But overall, yeah. their celebrity status, you know. So. Yeah, I, I, I actually really like... I really like being in this sweet spot that I'm at as a priest, which is where I'm at a congregation that's large enough to where I, I, you know, like those boundaries are established, Mm -hmm. but it's small enough to where I can be kind of known to most of the congregation, if not all the congregation. And I can have some kind of a relationship. Like there's a, there's a theory of, um, I can't remember what the name of the theory is, but there's a theory about like, um, community size and like 180, I think is like the ideal number that if you have more than 180 people, it, it like falls apart. Yeah. Um, that's like, that's a critical mass for having like a healthy community. Um, and so like we, you know, we have, we have about, you know, hundred, 110 people or whatever on, on, on average, um, on a Sunday. So, um, more or less. Um, and so that we've, we've sort of been able to maintain that kind of, that kind of relationship. And so like, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, like I've, you know, I've, 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 I think I've also helped, I think I've also been able to establish some pretty healthy boundaries. Like, you know, like my day off, I don't answer my phone. I don't check my emails. Like you just pretty much have established a culture that like, you're not going to get a hold of me on the, on that day because right. like that's, that's for me and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I've, I think I've established some pretty good, some really good boundaries and patterns around that. But I've done that because, because the flip side of it is I have seen what happens. Um, my church growing up, um, was large, you know, several thousand people. And my friend, Josh, um, his dad was my pastor. Um, and, Um, and so like I had, because Josh was my best friend, my childhood best friend and, you know, and then Keelan, whose dad was also on the church staff, like all of us were really tight and we were close to the pastor, uh, especially me. Like I was really close to Gene and his family. Um, I got to see sort of firsthand how these relationships can become like skewed and messed up because, yeah, because there were people who developed these really unhealthy um, really unhealthy attitudes toward Gene. Um, and I think it was, and I think it was somewhat fostered by the size of the church that, you know, once you get to a certain size, you sort of hit like a, it's like a celebrity threshold. Right. And, and so I think that the people who have those kinds of 
those kinds of, you know, mental things about Twitch, about celebrity, um, that starts to like kick in. And so, yeah, I watched, I've, I've seen, I saw a lot of people who developed, um, one, you saw the kind of like unhealthy relationships, you know, unhealthy kind of obsessions that you saw people where it was like, you know, sort of thinking that he was God really? and stuff like that. Um, and you see, and that's one of my concerns and I, I'll get into this in a moment, a little bit, in a little bit, a little bit more about that. The other, um, but then the other side of it is I definitely saw people because I bridged that, I bridged that gap. Like I was sitting in the pews and I was friends with people who were not close to the, to the pastor's family, but I was. And so there were, there were people who well, one, like I, I, I mean, I dated a girl briefly who had completely put me on a pedestal just by virtue of my proximity hmm. to the church leadership. Um, and I, um, and I also, um, I would hear people, you know, they would sort of be like, oh, you know, Gene, like, you know, the, oh, you know, brother Gene, you know, the pastor, like you've been to his house. And there was wow. just like this kind of like, wow, like how honor, like what an honor it is you get to do that. And like, you know, so I got to see that other side of it and where people, they hear this guy, you know, they hear him preach three times a week and, you know, he's giving sermons that are, you know, that are geared toward everyday living and decisions that people are going to make. And so people are making huge life choices based off of the things they hear the pastor saying. So they develop a relationship with his words. Yeah. And then, and, and, and by proxy with the, with the man himself, but just by virtue of the size of the church, like you said, like, there's no way that they're going to have, like, they're not going to come over to the house for dinner. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, like there's just no way he could do that. Like he could not have every member of that congregation come to his house for dinner. Right. And so, you know, so things have to get selective. And, and I will say he he established some pretty strong boundaries pretty early on around like family time and friends with his kids and stuff like that. But like, you know, you can't always choose who your friends are. And, and so it just so happened when Josh and I first encountered each other, like we were like instantly best friends. And so I was sort of in that circle. But it was it was such an interesting thing to see. So long, long answer to a short question. Um, I, you know, I, I've seen it. I've seen people develop a kind of parasocial relationship with their pastors mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm, and, and I'm aware of how it can happen. And so that's why it's one of the things that I try pretty, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty good at trying to address and avoid. Now I, I'm going to, let me just keep talking for a second because the, to add to it is I think the problem that we see in a number of churches. Um, and it just did not become apparent to me until I, um, until I first went into an Episcopal church and that is, um, church architecture. So this is a little bit of a, a little topic for you. Church architecture has taken a lot of changes over the years. Um, but if you go into like a, uh, you go into a traditional Baptist church, um, you're going to see an altar and it's a little table in the front of the church that says this do in remembrance of me. And it's usually ground level. And then there's a raised platform behind it. And then the pulpit is usually positioned behind and above the altar center view of the room. And the reasoning for that in Baptist churches is because, you know, so in Christian theology, the altar is the, is the place where the sacraments take place. And so in, in traditional Baptist understandings of the church, um, the preaching of the Bible is considered sacramental. And so it's sort of effectively preaching from the altar. It's set up that way. Um, but historically in churches, the altar is also is centered because it's where the, it's the presence of God. So in an Episcopal church, the pulpit is off to the side. The altar is the focal point in the room. And the same with Catholic churches and Orthodox churches, Lutheran churches and all of that. So 
what I so what I my so what my my little theory is that over the centuries, as particularly in the Protestant world, as we put the as we centralized the preaching and made the preaching the event, right. the main event of church, that that is fed into an understanding that one some pastors sort of fall into, which is that they see themselves as sort of a representative of God, mm-hmm. and like and like and and more than just like you know, like I represent God as a minister, but like, kind of like, you know, like I'm sort of, you know, taking God's place. <laughs> yeah. It's more like a uh, vessel. Like, is that? Yeah. Yeah. I think we've seen that. And then we've also seen, um, but then we also see where that reinforces a, a sort of perspective on the people, you know, right. uh, who go to the churches and it really feeds into this very scary, this sometimes very scary cult of personality stuff that, right. um, that I think is very dangerous in Christianity. And like, for instance, Christ Fellowship here in West Palm Beach, you, you and I both know that church very well. Uh, um, Matt goes to it. Right. Oh, that's right. Matt, Matt goes to it. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I know he's not here to speak to it. So I hope he doesn't take issue um, with what I'm going to say. I mean, he's I, talking about his issues at the church on this podcast. So. <laughs> right. I know that. I know that. But I just, I just you know, I, I, he's, I, I hope he doesn't think that I'm like making fun of him um, yeah. or, or, or disparaging his church because, again, he's been pretty open about it in the past. But Matt, what do you uh, think? Nice. No? Uh, okay. But the uh, but like one of the things about Christ Fellowship that and, and not just not just Christ Fellowship, some of the other churches, but Christ Fellowship is the one that I heard it the most when we were in college is there were people who would say, like, when I was talking about going like looking for a church, they would say um, things like, oh, well, you should go to Christ Fellowship. Like I go to Christ Fellowship. I'm like, oh, OK. And they're like then like and I'm like, so what, what, what you know, like, what do you like about it or whatever? And, they're, and the answer I always heard was, oh, the, I just. Todd is just such a great pastor. Like, I just love the pastor so much. And like, I just love the preaching and it just, you know, it, it feeds me. Um, and that's why I go and this, and and that, and I heard that over all the time when it came to like the evangelical churches is that their reasoning for going to the church was the pastor. And that just began to really deeply concern me. Hmm. Um, and, um, and so anyway, so I, so, I mean, this is kind of, so I appreciate. So I just, just as a way of saying, like I appreciate that I'm a part of a denomination that tends that that tends toward avoiding that kind of stuff. And like right. if you have multiple clergy on staff, you're rotating every week who's preaching. So you know the clerical, the clergy staff is is sort of it, it kind of it can help. I think it can really help mm-hmm. um, alleviate some of that. Right. Interesting. Um, cool. Well, so that you don't think you have a you don't have a grape coon. In your congregation, <laughs> I hope not. I, <laughs> I did have. I, I will say there was a there was there was a there was a, a person who, um, when I was an associate at, in West Palm, um, who developed a kind of obsessive thing, um, and she ended up follow sort of following me to where I currently am. Not like she didn't come to the church, but she like because she would call or try to show up. She's probably um, listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> could be. Who knows? It's been several years. I managed to effectively block her um, and and everything. I mean, it was it was, it was actually kind of scary. At that times. that is scary. <laughs> um, but it was like, it, but it wasn't. It was it was like she had various like social and emotional needs, right? And like and like financial. And so she would basically get into this thing where it was like she would trap she would try to trap me into thinking it was my responsibility to like solve her problems. Hmm. And when I would when I would kind of push back against that, she would then say that I was bad at my job. 
you know, like this is what you're supposed to be doing. And, and like, and it was, and just, I would get berated on the phone when she would, whenever she would call and I would unfortunately answer because she would use different numbers all the time. And so like, right. I would get trapped into these long phone calls with her. Well, you should have um, sent her a little cardboard cutout and, uh, just, yeah. What I should have done is I probably should have recorded a bunch of like pat answers and like put a little speaker in a cardboard cutout of myself <laughs> shit. And I could just like dispense advice like the uh, like the Bob Ross bobblehead that I have on my desk. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, I asked this question last week, but uh, I mean, I, I wonder if anybody has developed any kind of parasocial relationship with us. I mean, if I mean, you I know- haven't, we could definitely help you if you'd like. I mean. Yeah, we can make this more than just yeah. We do have a Twitter. Uh, I, I changed oh. the Twitter handle to at Masters Divinity. Okay. Uh, so you know, if you want to develop a sort of one-sided relationship, I highly recommend following that Twitter account. Uh, <laughs> also, Chuck's Instagram, uh, not Chuck's Instagram, but our Instagram that that Chuck runs. Yes, I'm the Instagram guy, by the way. In case you haven't figured that out. Um, <laughs> I, um, and I, and I kind of suck at it. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I did somewhat answer the question again. I, and I said this last week too, is that I think, um, based off my interactions with the people that I know who listen to it, um, you know, but I have actual relationships with them. So, yeah, me too. Uh, I mean, I think most but, of us, <laughs> but least, I've heard, yeah. I mean, I've heard from people that have that, I mean, they, they, they talk about that, like the way our podcast is structured and the way we do things, it like, it invites that sense of like wanting to engage and wanting to interact because you're sitting and hearing people having a conversation. And so, um, which is, you know, like a, you know, a lot of podcasts kind of do what we do, but I, I've just been told that a lot of people that like ours is somewhat different in that it, it does carry a sort of not intimacy, but like a conversational accessibility kind of thing. Yeah. And so, and so that people do say like, like, you know, others have said like they sort of feel like they're, they're part, they're they're part of the conversation. They're just listening rather than talking, but that they're, they're actually there. So I, you know, I I can see where it borders on parasocial if they don't actually know us. Is that irresponsible on our part? Do you think like, are are we creating a space where potential, uh, unhealthy parasocial relations could, could, uh, could, um, that's actually a really good question. And I, I don't, and I don't, is there a way that we can exploit that uh, <laughs> to make money on Patreon? <laughs> yeah. Um, we will, yeah, we could be like, listen, if you basically, yeah. Emotional you, manipulation, you to give us, us money. you'll give us money. Like that's, yeah, that's messed up. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I, you know, I don't, I, my, my gut reaction is to say that we don't. Um, and and the thing is, is because part of me wants to say, like, I don't think that it's fair for us to be held responsible for other people's mm-hmm. issues. I, I'll be honest. Uh, I don't think I'm emotionally prepared for that. Like, I don't think like if, if, if someone came up to me and you can kind of tell that by how they sort of talk to you that they know more about you than you'll ever know about them. I don't think I'm emotionally prepared for that. Like, I, I feel like that would really scare me <laughs> yeah I, I mean we do my ego we, though it has been preparing for it my entire life <laughs> yeah so. i mean we've we i mean we've done several episodes where we have sort of like pointedly said to our listeners that like if you're going through this or you're experiencing this like here's how you can sort of address that so i mean the possibility does exist jp that somebody who comes across our podcast and listens to an older episode where we've done that and it could be years from now um like that could have a positive impact on their life and then they could tell us that like 
yeah. you know, you did this and, you know. Yeah, that's, I mean, if they were just like, you know, I went through all these hardships and the masters of divinity were always there with me as I went through them, I'd be touched by that. You know, I wouldn't be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that. and that's, yeah. And I, I think, and I guess maybe we, you know, if we want, you know, because we would like to grow this podcast, maybe it's definitely something that we should have some kind of account, like we should account for it in some way that what we're doing here, you know, you know, I guess like the thing is why it's hard for me to say that we're responsible for it or whatever is that, you know, we're not setting out to do anything other than we talk about the stuff that we like and then we just put yeah. it out there for you to, to, for you to listen to it too. And if, if, you know, we don't have an intentionality. We don't have like an agenda around like, yeah, we're doing this because because it's fun for us mostly. Yeah, it's totally. <laughs> um, and um, you know, it's not like you know, but if, but if the but if the consequence of that is that you've had a really crappy day at work, and you've got like an hour commute ahead of you to get home, mm-hmm. and you put us on, and it just allows you to sort of not think about your crappy day and the crappy traffic situation, and instead just like laugh about incels laugh about incels (laughs) or um or like you know satanic panic or other things like that then or and and for a moment to be like yes somebody had that experience like me like they got it they you know then that's then that to me that's the coolest thing Mm. um but um or you know more likely you are a robot in russia that's just scanning this thing for keywords so that you can like destroy our democracy. Yeah, probably. Um, but I, um, yeah. So I, like I said, I don't think that we're, I don't think that we're responsible for it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so either. And we're not, we're not creating any kind of environment where that might exploit that either. So, Oh yeah. Do you, I, we forgot I, something just completely popped in my mind. Do you remember this? Um, so JP and I, when we were in college, we took a, um, See, I'm addressing the audience, and that kind of helps foster this stuff. Anyway, uh, so JP and I took a, a class uh, together in college called Creative Writing for Publication. And we, so how the class worked is we, 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 we wrote fiction, we wrote, or we wrote fiction, poetry, whatever, and then we submitted it to publication. We were taught how to submit using like the, reader, like the writer's marketplace um, resources and different things like that. Yeah. And do you remember that I got a fan letter? We were living together at the time. Oh, did you? I- I don't remember yes. that. I pub- so I Maybe published. I think I remember a little bit. I published this really crappy short poem, um, and because uh, I, I used to, I had a, I had a religious icon given to me when I was confirmed as an Episcopalian, uh, as an icon of Jesus, and I used to let it sit on top of my television in my bedroom, and so I wrote this like really like, and it was, in t- I think it was pretty intentionally bad, but like you know, <laughs> faux deep like, there's an icon on top of my TV that I, think, I actually I think the entire poem is. An icon rests on top of my TV that says more about the world than any than any sermon ever could, or something like that. This is uh, such a college. That reminds me of the uh, the 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 meme about the the quote maker meme. I'll, I'll show it to you later. Okay, but I so I submitted that. It got published, and it's like really kind of crappy. Um, like oh, I shouldn't say crap. Really small time poetry publishing. Um, thing and it was only printed like on like all poetry publishing, right? <laughs> yeah, all right. It was it was uh, it was published on a it was like a give out sheet. It wasn't even in like a bound book. It was photocopied like sheet of paper on a piece of paper in a basket in some coffee shop. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I got a three page handwritten letter from someone who re- I still have it somewhere. Um, 
who read this and was just like basically saying like I got her like I understood <laughs> and wow. I remember like I brought it into Athey and I who's our teacher professor Athey and I said to him I was like I got this fan mail like this is insane like that I got fan mail That's in so creative I, I, I think my joke was like I should get an instant A in this class right because <laughs> Like not only did I get published, but I also got fan letter. Like I'm, I was I'm the establishing only... a fan base. I, I, I... Yeah, and he, next level. I, his response was like, "Do not write this person back." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "This is actually kind of scary." And I was like, so flattered. But like the more I think about it, it's like, yeah, that is kind of weird, right? It's a it's a little it is a little weird. What if it was your mom? It it was definitely not my mom. <laughs> um. And, uh, I had a confession to make, Chuck. It, uh, it was me. <laughs> um, scared. This, yeah, this person. I would if if it. I would not claim it if you were you because the handwriting was. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Well. But um. But no. So it was. Uh. It was, so so I've I so yeah. So I've I, I have personally had. That. You've you have like, you've you've had a fan. I've had a fan. <laughs> a singular fan. That had Brilliant. a parasocial relationship with me for like a week. <laughs> That's great. That's hilarious. Uh, it's yeah. re- it's pretty funny. Like I'm I'm just imagining a situation where it's like you become really fascinated with this person, and, and maybe you want to seek them out, and then you find out that they they actually write letters to like every poet they've ever read, and you're like, well, what, right. what what the hell? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're my fan. <laughs> It just makes me think a little bit about like um, like Chuck Palahniuk, since I brought him up earlier. He, in an interview, talks about how he never he's never ever wanted to meet his literary heroes, yeah, because they are inevitably going to let you down, and and he's like and you know and plus you're gonna like do something like you know he's like you like like fart in front of him or something and it'll just like completely ruin everything and you know I I I like that I mean you know of course it gets to that cliche you know never meet your heroes and um. And I think there's some truth to that because, and is that, and I think this is part of the problem, is that we can idealize these people to such an extent. And I think this might even explain kind of the, a little bit the state of the world that we're in right now, where because we don't have, we don't really have much of a religious base anymore as a society, as like a cohesive spiritual, you know, um, identity, yeah. um, as a culture in America. And not that we ever really did, but you know, it's 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 very pronounced now. Um, because we don't have that, I think celebrity celebrity culture has kind of filled that void. And so we expect these people to be perfect. And when we find out they're not, it's devastating to us. And and I think like that's one of the reasons why we've seen just, you know, so much. Like I think I think the whole thing with James Gunn is a perfect oh, yeah. example of this where um you know, he was, you know, he was a stupid 20 year old guy writing stupid jokes and it came back to haunt him. And it's, it's, uh, sorry, you, you got me thinking about the uh, milkshake duck. Oh yeah. The milkshake duck. <laughs> uh, I feel like that kind of factors into this a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. So for listeners, don't know, I just learned what the milkshake duck is. And I think it's fantastic. It's a, um, it's a tweet from, um, a, a account, an account called pixelated boat. Um, a, a weird Twitter account. 
weird, weird Twitter account. Yeah. And he says, uh, he says, it's Milkshake Duck. Everybody loves Milkshake Duck. It's a duck who drinks milkshakes. And it's like five seconds later, we regret to inform you that Milkshake Duck, or that we, we regret to inform you that the duck is racist. <laughs> um, and it's actually entered into a, a, a certain realm of vernacular to refer to how quickly the public can turn yeah. on someone who's become famous, particularly internet famous. And I know the pixelated boat guy said that he, he was inspired by that Chewbacca mom thing yeah. from a couple years ago to write that because everybody loved this, you know, this woman putting on this Chewbacca mask and talking to the camera. Then it turned out that she is kind of a crummy person like really quickly. Yeah. That, and also there is the, the Ken bone. Oh, Ken bone. Yeah. Ken bone. Yeah, like he, everyone loved him. Then everyone saw his Reddit history, <laughs> and it was like, oh, this guy's a creep. <laughs> right, and it's like that's the thing is we expect, and and I let's take it. To, I want to take this to a religious level. I know we're, this episode's going pretty long, but it's fine. It's that, and I've talked a lot about this. About it's, this is where grace it comes into play, and where we don't because we don't have it in our society, and it's and it's tragic because um, we shouldn't expect people to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and by the way, I don't mean that as like, as like a kind of like coded way to say that that means we need to sort of like ignore Brett Kavanaugh and what all's going on there right. or, or something. I know people are using that kind of excuse, right? You know, they're saying like, you know, well, nobody's perfect, you know, but I, um, but, but it is a point to say that like, that like how quickly we can jump on Ken Bone, Ken Bone's great. Well, you don't know Ken Bone. All you know is what Ken Bone said. In you like his sweater. And just, you like his sweater. Just, just, just a his sweater and, of course, and you mustache. Know, That's what he was. Right. And, you know, some people were just like, they were also kind of overjoyed of like, oh, here's a, you know, here's a, here's a, you know, a larger build individual that we can sort of hold up as a sort of internet celebrity. Yeah. And, but like you, 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 they kind of like idolized this guy and created this narrative around him before they even knew what he was like as a real person. And then you learn what he's like as a real person. And it's like, oh, he has opinions I don't like. <laughs> yeah. um, and I mean, you think about though, any celebrity is like that. Any famous person is like that. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they're like. They're, they, they, they put on masks every single day. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not real. They are fake. You know, to get back to the thing, you know, fake friends. Um, you know, and that's because that's their job. Right. <laughs> their and, job and of is the, to pretend. Then the thing that inspired the, our, our sudden infatuation of Milkshake Duck was what happened yesterday. Yes. Which was, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little sad, but it's also really funny. Um, oh gosh, it is. And it, it's, and it's great reading. We, we both read the article on birth movies, death. Yeah. Uh, and, and like it was happening as the article was being written. <laughs> like, the, like, okay. So basically, uh, there's a new star Wars animated series coming out called star Wars resistance produced by Dave Filoni, who did the clone war series. Looks pretty cool. Um, and, uh, they released a new trailer and in this new trailer, it revealed that, uh, princess Leia was going to be in it. So obviously that meant that Prince Leia has a, a new, uh, you know, a, a voice actress. It's definitely not Carrie Fisher because she's passed. And um, what's funny is because like, as Andrew Todd, who writes for Rosemary's Death, is, is writing this article about this trailer and this new Leia, the person who who voice who does the the voice for Leia had posted doing a an impression of Christine uh, Blasey Ford, who was. While she's giving her testimony. While the hearings are still going, (laughs) she does her vocal fry impression. But here's the thing. She goes further than just an impression. She's she's making fun of her. Like, she's like, I sound like a baby. Like, just just incredibly tone deaf. Very inappropriate. 
not that's not what I, what I said was funny. The situation is hilarious because as this person is writing this article about this person who's making fun of this other person during a hearing, this is all happening all at once. As this person, they, they finish the article, they publish that video, everybody turns on her immediately. Right. <laughs> right. And like, and just... Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, it could be not to analyze it too much. I mean, it very well could be that this woman, uh, the voice actress is, this is, this could be her way of sort of like laughing to keep from crying, you know, like this was just her way. This is like a coping mechanism, but because we live in an always on society where people feel that they have to post every single friggin' thought that's in their mind onto the internet, she did this. And like, it's just such a, (laughs) I just, I'm just, and I, I, cause I, this right here is laughing to keep from crying about it because it's, it's such a messed up thing, but like, how, how do you do this? Like, how do you have, you're like, I've landed this amazing job with Disney. Yeah. Disney. Voicing an iconic I, character and a, I, and a brand new show that's going to be very popular. And the trailer is dropping today. The world is going to learn. The second it I, drops. That I'm the voice of of General Leia Organa, you know, who, you know, and then this is going to be the day <laughs> that I'm going to make fun of a woman giving a testimony over a horrific sexual assault <laughs> while she's doing. It. Yeah. Like, and, and this like, is all happening in real time as Andrew Todd is writing the article, which right. is really funny. And then, of course, like, <laughs> I would love, love to have seen, um, some of the Disney executives <laughs> <laughs> who just dealt with James Gunn's firing. <laughs> oh, uh, God, what is wrong with these Star Wars? Now, what's going to be funny, though, all right, just as an aside, what's going to be funny to watch, or, or not, maybe not funny, but interesting to watch in, in regard to this, this story, is, right, it was far-right people who pushed for James Gunn to get fired, right? Right. They basically weaponize liberal outrage in order to make that happen. But now are we going to see a feedback loop where because they've set the precedent where people who say offensive things in social media that are associated with Disney, Disney now has to fire them. So because now, right, people on the right are going to want to be like, oh, look at her. She's making fun of like, like are, is people on the right going to like embrace her? Be like, oh, she should yeah. be allowed to say whatever she wants. And then – and be like, oh, well, hold on now. Disney's Aya Soren just suddenly opens and controversy pretty, on the internet. What would be pretty awesome is if Disney was just like, look, we're just going to hire James Gunn back. Like, look, look reset. <laughs> just reboot. We don't care. You know about what? Any- we're we're going to release Song of the South too. So <laughs> it's, we're just going to start all over. I actually kind of wish they would release Song of the South. I'd like to see it again. I saw it in theaters. I hear it's I hear it's bad. Like I hear it's really boring. Like it's not that good. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about that. Let me wait into my white straight man, um, upper middle class, uh, privileged person to talk about this movie. Um, I will say that I, I sort of I, I sort of side to the people who think it should be released just for like film studies purposes. Yeah. 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 Um, because one of the things that people have pointed out. Well, one. Um, um, the Zippity Doodah song is an iconic song, and it comes from that movie. Yeah. Um, the other, but the other piece is, is that um, the guy who plays Uncle Remus, like that was like the highlight of his career as a black, as right. a black man in Hollywood, and it's just been completely like erased. Yeah. From the world, 
because it, you know, and, and the thing that gets me is from what I understand about the controversy is that the controversy around the movie rests in the fact that people don't realize that it's set during recon reconstruction. Mm -hmm. It's not set prior to the civil war. Right. Yeah. So people think that it's sort of like making a slave be like, you know, like I mean, it, 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 factors that, it factors that into the plot. Like there's, I mean, it, it is largely a live action film. Yeah. Um, with some like animated shorts sort of thrown in. Right. Animated animals. Yeah. Kind of running around. Yeah. Um, you have the Briar Patch cartoon right. that's, in, that's inside. Right. Which is Splash Mountain. It's the context for Splash Mountain. Yeah. So I, I, um, I kind of, so there's an element of me though. I, I, I kind of wish it was, it was released just so like, just so that the guy's career can be, you know, acknowledged, yeah. you know, um, um, but you know, but I also understand why you, you, I definitely understand why you don't want to release it because <laughs> it is kind of an embarrassment for Disney. Right. Yeah. A little and, bit. A little bit. So, but, um, but anyway, but, um, I think that's all the time we have <laughs> on that note. Song of the South. <laughs> that's a, that'd be a fun episode. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, that's, that's, uh, that, that's parasocial relationships. All right. It is. Um, I don't know if, uh, we have any grape coons in the audience. So. Should we, as a, we should see how this episode plays because wouldn't it be pretty funny if this is the, if this episode sort of like takes off. Yeah. And so like our first Patreon offering could be cardboard cutouts of us for you to put in your house when you're feeling lonely. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, Chuck, I want to thank you for being here. I'm all, it's, it's, such, it's so great being here. I love doing this podcast. Wonderful. I do too. Thank you so much for listening and please join us again next week and have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good journey. <laughs>